You're listening to the Rua Space Podcast. Hello, friends. Welcome to a new episode of the Rua Space Podcast with Phil and Aaron. And we're glad to have you here with us today where we explore how we can make space for the Holy Spirit through our everyday lives. And today, especially this episode is part of our series about how to study the Bible. And we are going to be sharing with you about something really fascinating called chiasm. Yeah, so we've been, we sort of started the series with bigger questions to ask of yourself and to sort of be aware of the questions you bring to the scripture itself. And now we want to kind of dive in each week to a different way, a different tool to sort of engage scripture. So we're going to talk about translation, history, different literary techniques, all kinds of stuff. And we thought today it would be fun to dive into one called chiasm. And chiasm is basically a literary device. And just for those of you listening who are visual, I it's spelled C-H-I-A-S-M. Yeah. And basically, the best way to think about it is like a pyramid. So this is the Bible's pyramid scheme. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Not exactly. It has nothing to do with actual pyramid schemes. <laughs> no, but, but it's a structure that helps point us sort of to one of the things the author wanted us to pay attention to. Now, again, you've heard us say many times it's that the, there's 70 faces of Torah, right? Mm-hmm. Many different ways. So through chiasm, we're not trying to say this gets you to the one and only meaning. It's just meant to say, this is another way to sort of put yourself in the author's shoes to see what the author, him or herself, is sort of directing us to. Right. Well, and it's one of those things where chiasms happen throughout scripture. And to our untrained eye, we bypass them. And that's perfectly fine. That doesn't that doesn't mean that you aren't getting what the author's point is. But what's cool is there were very intentional chiasms written into scripture. And the structure of a chiasm, like Phil was saying, it's it's a bit like a pyramid. You said pyramid. I would almost think like an arrow. Yeah, it's like two arrows pointing at each other at 45 degree angles. Yeah, so when it's... (laughs) Or 30 degree angles. Guys, we're going to have to draw you some diagrams here. No, we'll make a video. (laughs) Um, But it helps me, or or like um, almost like an hourglass. Like, it's it's this literary structure. It's a funnel. Sure. Okay. Funneling you to the bottom. (laughs) Oh my gosh. How many other other shapes and pictures can we come up with? Arrows, funnels, and hourglasses. Um, But the shape should be in your head now. Through one of those examples. Pick a shape, any shape. Yeah, leave us a comment with a shape like a funnel or a pyramid. Let's see how many we can get. Okay, sorry. My point was that the chiasm essentially is this tool that the writer would use in which they would focus the text that they wrote into a main point, which would be sandwiched in the middle. And that's what makes it so hard for us to see is because we are trained to read from beginning to end and the point is at the end of the book, right? Or even think of Aesop's fables, right? You get to the end and then they say, this is the point of the fable. Or Hallmark movies. (laughs) Like the movie could be one hour or five, but they never fail to reveal the end in the final five seconds while the credits start rolling. (laughs) Right. So for our Western trained minds, it can be hard to spot a chiasm because we aren't used to it. Because what will happen is the author's main point 
comes in the middle of the passage, and then the remainder of the passage reverses and restates the points that had led up to the main point. And that's where I that's where I thought the hourglass, um, right. but that's where Phil was saying the pyramid. It's the idea that, like, for example, if you're picturing a poem, lines one and seven would correlate, and then lines two and six would have a shared theme. And lines, oh gosh, now I'm doing this in my head, lines three and five would have a main theme, <laughs> and then line four would be the the focus, right? right. They fun- Those lines have funneled in and pointed to... The central point. Right. So the climax is in the middle rather than at the end. The buildup goes up and then back down. But here's here's kind of the way people diagram it. So you were saying one and seven, two and six, three. What happens is um, you could use numbers or letters, but the point is it made sense in my brain. No, absolutely, and that's (laughs) totally true. So the point would be one covers the same topic as seven, right? So in the story, they share a theme, right? So if you draw out every line of a story. You would see that the two lines have a theme, then the two the next inner lines each share the same theme, then the two next inner lines, two next, two next, until you reach one line that's right in the middle. And if you draw an arrow from all those lines, it points to that one in the middle. But you can tell a chiasm by ch- sort of charting it out and saying, do the themes on either side of the middle match all the way from beginning to end? Okay. So, so one chiasm that you probably can't notice right on the surface of it, but is is a chiasm. We're going to kind of structure this one out for you. It's found in Luke chapter 19. So Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Now see, we often think the main point of that story is at the end. The last sentence. The last <laughs> sentence, right? Right. But if the you son look of man at came it, to seek and save what was lost. Right. So this is a perfect example. Think of this as a play. So we're going to bring all the characters out on stage, and then in reverse order... They're going to leave the stage. So this story starts with Jesus entering Jericho, right? Then it tells us something about Zacchaeus, that he was a a tax collector, right? And that he was, you know, wealthy, wealthy, and that then he was short of stature and he couldn't go to Jesus, what? Because of the crowd, right? So you have Jesus walk onto the stage, then Zacchaeus walks onto the stage, then the crowd shows shows up and walks up on the stage. Then Jesus, or sorry, then Zacchaeus goes up a tree. Now... Now we've reached the top of the pyramid or the middle of the hourglass when Jesus approaches Zacchaeus and invites him. He says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to eat in your house today. Now Zacchaeus was hiding in this tree because it had big leaves, right? He doesn't seem worthy. And the reason he can't go in the crowd is someone might kill him. It would have been dangerous because he's a tax collector. He was a thief. He wasn't liked. This is the last person a rabbi should be spending time with, a tax collector, a cheat, a man who is small stature, which we can debate, is he literally short or was it his stature in the community, right? So now the middle of the story is this invitation to the outsider 
to table fellowship. Then, in reverse order, we go back off the stage. So Zacchaeus now comes down the tree, right? So right on the other side of Jesus' invitation is Zacchaeus goes up the tree. Now he goes down the tree. What was before that? It was information about the crowd. What happens in the story right the after? The crowds mutter and leave. Right. After he comes down the tree, the crowds mutter. What happens after the crowd? If we're going to follow the, the narrative structure, what should be after the crowd? It should go back to Zacchaeus, right? Because he was the second one on the stage. Right. And now Zacchaeus' character is up. Where first we met him as a sinner and wealthy, and now we're seeing him say, I'll give this back and I'll repay it four times more. So his character is now in a new light. So in reverse order now, then the last thing should be what the first thing was, which is Jesus enters the scene. And now who has the last word in the scene? Jesus. Jesus, right? He makes this declaration. So this is a perfect example of a chiasm where the author is telling us a story and he's saying, it's not that the end doesn't matter, right? We can take... When you meditate on a passage facets. of studies, yeah, there's no there's, wrong yeah. takeaways. Well, well, there okay, could that, be wrong takeaways. <laughs> I was, as I was saying that, there's, there's okay. many ways to see it, but the author is clearly with these huge flashing arrows saying, if you're going to, of all the things you're going to see, make sure not to miss the invitation in the middle. That the this outsider. is part of this key focus. Um, and, That's fascinating because, one, I'm sure you've told me this before, but. Um, this was not initially stand out to me as a chiasm. If I'm right. reading the Bible and today I pick a passage and I open to Zacchaeus and I think, oh, I'll read it and learn something nice. So do you have advice for people how they would pick out a chiasm? Because I was just thinking we should make like a Bible study Bible where then they're labeled like chiasm. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, a lot of that stuff has, goals. has been just done kidding. <laughs> by other people. Like I didn't just stumble across that myself, right? Someone right. else pointed that out to me. And so I think there's sort of two levels to this. One, it comes from commentaries from doing research but second i mean i think the basic way that you could do a chiasm on your own is when you're reading a a passage whether to test if there's a chiasm or not chart it out sort of like we did who enters the scene who speaks next what happens next what's the next theme and the next theme so sort of go through it and then when you start to see oh here's a repeat of what was above see if the pattern continues because there's many of these throughout scripture and if it does continue, you've likely stumbled upon a chiasm. Yeah. And then you know that that central passage right. ha- holds a key point yeah. not to be missed. Um, technical question for you. Is there always a one verse to one verse correlation? You know, like our Bible has no. the little tiny numbers. No, it's not. Well, okay. first, those numbers were put in much later. Well, that's why right. I'm asking. Because, exactly. again, our Western trained mind, we go by like the little numbers. Exactly. And... They were put in later. There are, Sometimes there wasn't even punctuation and stuff. So, <laughs> I mean, very, very different. But no, okay. sometimes it could be longer. So, so there it, might be like a set of two or three verses right. that correspond to right. one But you're going to have a theme okay. or a person or whatever kind of repeat. Beautiful. I just wanted to make sure. Clarifying for others, a friend. Absolutely. I'm just, yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Question from a friend here. <laughs> uh, the friend being myself. So our hope then is that with this type of tool... It may not be the easiest one, but it is a fascinating one. And I mean, one way you might even want to start to get used to it is just Google chiasms in the Bible and sort of get used to people pointing out kind of where they are, where they show up in Psalms, what other narratives have it, these types of things to sort of start getting an eye for it. Um, And again, you know, it's not something you necessarily have to do, but it's an invitation to say, here's one more way to possibly get a new angle 
on a scripture because that story of Zacchaeus, we all, you know, right? Most people, if you grew up in the church, you heard this story, right? Or sing the song. So you might feel like there's nothing new I can get from reading this passage. But all of a sudden when you say, oh my goodness, the passage is pointing somewhere else than Mm. maybe I was taught my whole life. Now it brings a new life to it. Right. Well, it's like a treasure hunt then because we're saying there's, there's this structure and if you can hunt it out and find it, then it's going to point to these gems of truth that, again, aren't our natural conclusion from a story or a passage. Exactly. The fact that the main point could be in the middle rather than at the end. So, brothers and sisters, our hope is that that is one little tool that you can use as you're studying Scripture to help kind of point you to new findings, to new ways that God might be speaking into your life today. It's a challenging one, but it's a good one. It's a lot of fun. It allows us to play with Scripture a little bit. So we pray that's a blessing. Happy hunting as you search for chiasms. I'd like to throw in that if you find a chiasm or think you found a chiasm, drop us a line. Um, can we use our Facebook page? Yeah. As send a, us a Facebook as a message. Send us an email. Connect at ruispace.com. Yeah. I just think it would be fascinating to see where we all start finding them yeah. if you do so. Absolutely. Well, brothers and sisters, happy hunting. Grace and peace.